Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Leslie McClurg in for Alexis Madrigal. Money and love, two key areas that prompt some of life's most difficult questions. Should I quit my job? Should we buy a house? Is it time to get pregnant? Divorce? Retire? We didn't learn how to answer those questions in school, unless you happen to take Myra Strober's class on work and family at Stanford. Now she and one of her former students from that class, Abby Davison, have written a book called Money and Love. They'll offer guidance on how to navigate life's biggest quandaries. That's coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg in for Alexis Madrigal. Have you ever felt paralyzed by a financial decision? Or you stayed up all night wondering, is it time to end this relationship? Wouldn't it be nice if there was a simple formula to navigate life's big questions? A new book offers advice on how to do just that. Money in Love, an essential roadmap for life's biggest decisions. We're joined now by the authors, Myra Strober. She's a labor economist and professor emerita at Stanford University. And Abby Davison is a social innovation leader and a career development expert. Welcome, Myra and Abby. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Myra, from what you've seen, how are most people making big decisions? What, what are they using to, to decide what to do with their lives, whether or not they should move for a job or stay in a relationship, get divorced? Well, they're following conventional wisdom, which tells us that decisions about money and career need to be made with your head, and decisions about love, uh, family, children need to be made with your heart. And I have been teaching a course first at Berkeley and then at Stanford for almost 50 years now on uh, work and family. And listening to students all those years and reading the research, uh, I figured that all of these decisions are both money and love decisions. Career decisions involve family and money decisions uh, involve love and love decisions involve money. And Abby, you took this class uh, many years ago from Myra at Stanford. Was there one big decision that you were wrestling with at the time? What was it? And then did that, did that change your life path? Yes, I was in the thick of a big decision, actually. I had met someone at business school. We had been dating for less than a year at, a at the time. And we had to decide were we going to look for jobs in the same city? Graduation was only a few months away. <clears throat> were we going to move in together if we ended up in the same city? And these were very intimidating decisions to talk about, broach, 
after such a short time of dating. But because of Myra's class and her direct approach, her um, encouragement to look at the research and not shy away from these tough conversations, we dove in and we ended up writing a paper, a final paper for the class, all about um, how we would combine our lives. And we, Myra had shared some research about uh, couples that live together before they get married and how they have higher divorce rates. And we wanted to know why and how we could avor- avoid that fate. And so we we wrote the paper and um, we did end up moving in together and we got married shortly thereafter. And that was 15 years ago. And we have two young kids and Myra's class totally changed our lives in the way that we approach all of our big life decisions. Wow, that's a success story for sure. Myra, at the time, why, or not the time, but but basically why in the beginning, why did you start this class? What was going on in your life that you thought that the Stanford Business School should have a class on work and family? Well, I actually started teaching the class when I was at Berkeley. And I came to Berkeley uh, in 1970 and looked around and two of my uh, associates were assistant professors who had been in my graduate program with me, and I was a lecturer. So not being shy, I went to talk to the department chair and asked him, why am I a lecturer? And these two guys are assistant professors. And believe it or not, he told me it was because I lived in Palo Alto. And Hmm. so I walked out of his office, dejected, and started driving home. And I always say I became a feminist on the Bay Bridge because it struck me as the view of San Francisco came into view that um, this was ridiculous. It had nothing to do with that. So I finally asked if I could teach a course about women's issues in the labor market and why women were not given the same opportunities as men. And I was given approval to go ahead, and that was the genesis of this course. And you and remind us, I think you said it earlier, but forty. How many? How many years did you have you taught this class? Well, I started teaching in 1970, and I taught the last class in 2016. And over that time, were the decisions that people were wrestling with? Did they change over time? I mean, were were, were couples back then or, or individuals back then wrestling with different questions? No, the questions were all the same. What really changed over time was that more and more men started taking my class. And by the time I stopped teaching, 40% of the students in my class were men who were also facing these decisions. And uh, the conversations in class were so much better uh, when there were both men and women involved. And um, times had changed in many important ways, but the decisions that need to be made um, are still the same. Well, we want to hear from listeners so that we can apply your prescription or your your blueprint. We're talking with Myra Strober and Abby, Abby Davison about their new book, Money and Love, an intelligent roadmap for life's biggest decisions. So listeners, are you paralyzed about a big life decision? Do you want some advice from our experts? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're at KQED Forum, and the email is forum at kqed.org. Myra, what is the one decision people tend to regret the most? People tend to regret decisions that they make too quickly. Um, And one of the things we find is that 
our book does not tell you what decision to make. It just gives you a roadmap for making those decisions. And we find that people have less regret if they feel that they've done their best in making the decision. Uh, so whether it's about, um, shall I have another child or should I uh, choose this person as my life partner or shall I move or retire, uh, if, if they make the decision uh, with some thought, uh, they're less likely to regret the decision, even if it doesn't turn out well. And so how do you balance that sort of gut reaction sort of, I mean, I, especially in, in love, we've been taught that, we talked about that, sort of, I feel, I just, this doesn't feel right. And you're saying you should maybe not necessarily always listen to your gut. You're saying there should be some data or some intellect brought into the equation, even when you're talking about love. Well, your gut is very important, certainly when it comes to relationships and when it comes to anything. So we're not saying don't listen to it. We're just saying don't let that be the only input. Um, because often when we are listening to our guts or our emotion, as Myra mentioned, we, we make decisions quickly. Humans do not like to be in ambiguity and uncertainty. And so we're more likely to, um, if we have an uncomfortable emotion like anger or fear or guilt, um, just make a decision to get away from that emotion. And so what we do in our book is lay out five steps. We call it the five C's for um, how to what to do when you're faced with a big decision so that you can bring in some of that logic, some of that um, thinking that is not just gut driven, but you can pair what you feel in your gut with some of the steps that the research has shown are effective in making decisions. I know the first step is obviously for me the hardest. I have a really hard time knowing what I want. So the first step is clarify, try to figure out what you want. So if we if we use the example on say, should I have a second child? If that's a, if that's the example, how would I clarify what I want? I mean, okay, I want a second child. Is that am I done? Well, I think it depends on if you um, are in a relationship. <clears throat> Certainly, if there's going to be someone else in this child's life. Um, it's, it's important to, um, and we're getting into our second step, but communicate with that person. Um, but what you mentioned is it's very hard, actually, sometimes to um, remove yourself from all of the other influences that are telling you what you should want. So you might have grandparents or um, other relatives or uh, even friends asking you when you're going to have that second child. And so um, part of what is involved in clarifying is actually tuning out those other voices um, and the societal expectations that are clouding um, your own ability to clarify what you want so that you can listen very closely to um, to what's important to you and not what you have been socialized to do or um, what you think you should be doing. Right. Well, let's go to Colin in San Ramon. Colin, you're on the air. Hi, how's it going? Good. Um, go I ahead, guess, Colin. I, I had a question. Oh, sorry. Yep. I had a question. My uh, father recently passed away and uh, left me a, a cabin. And, you know, I, it's going to be tough to afford it financially, but there is a lot of sentimental value attached to it. And then obviously a lot of, you know, like you're talking about with the kids, a lot of societal pressure to, to keep it and from his friends and family and, and my friends and family, everything. So I guess I would interested in your thoughts. Well, you're asking the quintessential question here about how to balance uh, financial issues with um, love issues. In this case, love for your dad and love for the memories and the experiences that you all had together. And so uh, 
you know, what you need to do is sit down with yourself or lie down with yourself or take a walk with yourself and uh, try to sort out which of these factors um, is going to be most important, are going to be most important for you. Uh, if, if, the, if keeping the cabin is going to bankrupt you, uh, then you're going to have to figure out some uh, way to keep it and still uh, stay solvent. And one of the steps in our uh, five-point uh, program is to try to broaden your choices. So, for example, you might be able to keep that cabin by renting it out for a couple of months a year. And that would perhaps solve the financial problems and still allow you to have it when you want it. Good answer. We will hear lots more advice from Myra and Abby going forward. We want to hear from you. We're talking to Myra Strober and Abby, Abby Davison about their new book, Money in Love, an intelligent roadmap for life's biggest decisions. How do we decide these big sort of perplexing decisions? Are you paralyzed about a life a big, a big life decision? If you are, do you want some advice from our experts? Maybe you have some advice for us. What's your approach to making decisions? Does it work? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. Or find us the old-fashioned way. Email us at forum at kqed.org. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Alexis Madrigal. And we're talking to Myra Strober and Abby Davison about their new book, Money and Love, an intelligent roadmap for life's biggest decisions. And Myra, I'm curious, you you think of love as a marketplace. What does that mean? Well, economists, uh, beginning with Gary Becker, began talking about marriage markets. Um, But... The notion of a marriage market is certainly older. Uh, If you read Pride and Prejudice, you are reading about a marriage market where 
Elizabeth is trying to figure out who she's going to marry. Uh, love and money are involved in her decision, and love and money are involved in all the other decisions about marriage that are made in the book. So although my students often tell me that they don't like the notion of being in a marriage market, uh, sounds too much like uh, a meat market, uh, <laughs> they recognize that, in fact, that is the case, that um, there is a... Uh, a sort of making choices going on that is reminiscent of being in a in a market. I'm curious, Abby, in the day and age, I mean, obviously you've been married, it sounds like, for, for many years, so you may not have ever uh, done the online dating thing. But I, I think that online dating and all these apps provide basically the you know, recipe for being overwhelmed by choice. Like if I just swipe one more time, maybe that's my Prince Charming. So how do you recommend people deal with sort of being paralyzed by choice, especially in this day and age? Like, oh, this person feels pretty good, but man, I could just go on one more date and maybe that's my person. It's so true. There is this um, belief that the next um, amazing partner is always the next swipe away. And we talk about this in the book, actually. We um, cite the research by another Stanford professor, colleague of Myra's, Baba Shiv, and he um, researches something that he calls uh, sequential choice versus simultaneous choice. So when you're in a dating app and you're swiping, um, you are using sequential choice. And he calls that endless quest for the best. You just you think it's just one swipe away. And he contrasts that with his experience. He's from India, as is his wife, um, being in an arranged marriage, where he, when he was ready to get married, told his parents that he would like to find um, some potential partners. Uh, they presented him with three different options. He met them at the same, you know, within the same um, several weeks and decided um, which one was the most suitable partner for him. And fortunately, his uh, wife made the same choice. And they've been married um, many decades, over three decades at this point. And he talks about how um, a way to limit that feeling of overwhelm is to try to compare options simultaneously, not sequentially. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Josh from Santa Clara, you're on the air. Hello. Josh? Yes, hello. You're on the Hi. air. Oh, yeah. Hi. This is uh, Josh here. So I just have this question about, so I have this ongoing like problem with my, with my wife where uh, we are kind of debating a divorce because my wife, feels that things are not going to work out. And even if we try, it's going to, you know, we probably stay the same way as it is now. So I'm kind of stuck between this thought of if I should persuade my wife to tell her to try to make things work. But I have this other thought as well, where I want to move back to India because my mom is not doing too well with respect to her health. So I'm like, okay, my I'm just saying things are not going to work, or then probably just, you know, call for a divorce and move back to India. Or, you know, I have to stay here for longer to persuade her to see if things are going to work out. <laughs> well, this is a tough situation for you, I understand. Um, it's very difficult to make these kinds of divorce decisions without getting some professional help. 
You know, the two of you uh, have your points of view, you have your experiences. And if you would spend a little bit of money to go to a marriage counselor and both present your views and hear what the marriage counselor suggests to you, uh, that might be very helpful. Um, I am divorced myself, and I know when my first husband and I were contemplating divorce, we went to a marriage counselor, and I asked her, uh, can this marriage be saved? And she said no. And so uh, that was very clear advice about what to do next. I would also say that if you get divorced, try your best to have an amicable divorce. Um, I was fortunate that my divorce was amicable, um, although not immediately. And um, it, it served me well. It served my children well. And so if you do end the relationship, remember that you once both loved each other. Any advice on the decision to go to India or how to, how to weigh that decision, Myra? Well, let Abby take that one. Well, it's tricky because it sounds like in, in your mind, these decisions are connected. And I, I understand that there are some connections. But one of the things we advocate is trying to separate each of the decisions in your mind. So um, try to separate the decision to go to India and care for your mother f from the decision to um, see if your relationship can be repaired or pursue divorce. And you might want to... Um, take each decision separately, go through the steps that we advocate. Um, certainly, talking to your wife about the decision to go to India is important. Um, but for example, there might be a scenario where you decide to take a break um, from the relationship, see if you can give some breathing room, and that might provide the opportunity to go to India, um, check in on your mom, um, see if other relatives can be involved in her care. Um, and so one of the things we advocate, Myra mentioned it, is um, broadening your set of choices. And by thinking about each of these decisions individually, you'll have more clarity on the choices that exist. I love that. I think I often try to make the best decision. And so I'm playing them off each other. And my pros and cons lists are actually two decisions that are, you know, competing rather than really separating. And I, that's really good advice for me personally. Uh, there, Jeffrey tweets, and I think this is a good question, Myra, where do faith and spiritual practices fit into your decision making model? Oh, they fit in very closely uh, in terms of clarifying your own values. I think for many of us, our values come from our faith and from our experiences with faith. And so if that's important to you, then that goes high on your list as you think about um, who you want to spend the rest of your life with, where you want to live, what kind of work you want to do, how many children and when. Um, those are all decisions that are influenced by uh, faith and uh, faith experiences. And I would also say that the um, fourth step is check in with friends, family, and trusted resources. And so trusted resources could look like anything from published studies to um, scripture to um, the, the uh, resources that guide your spirituality. And so if that's something that's important to you, that becomes a resource that you can use um, to check in as you're making decisions. A listener writes, I agree with the approach of your two guests 
that they're recommending and I have instinctually made decisions in the way that they suggest. Life didn't always give me exactly what I have wanted, but I have generally been content with the choices I've made. Part of my approach, which has not been mentioned, is that I also consciously ask myself how my sense of values, as in moral values, come into play in the decision I'm facing. Somehow that always seems to engage both my heart and my head, and it serves to unify them. Well said. Uh, let's go to Stacy in San Rafael. Stacy, you're on the air. Hi, good morning. Good morning. I'm calling because I have some issues that are similar to what the other callers just said. Um, so I'll just follow to say that I have these competing decisions around marriage, around job, around potentially moving out of the Bay Area because it's too expensive. But they're all money and love decisions. And one thing I've done is engage a financial advisor to help me try to untangle some of the financial parts. But I don't know um, how to make my heart decisions in particular. And I have sort of tried to talk to friends or a therapist about what are what's important, but I, I haven't been able to get out of the duck because of the overwhelm with the multiple co-dependent decisions. I'm wondering if you have any suggestions about the heart side or the money side. Well, I think it's great that you are engaging trusted advisors. It's so important. And you're bringing up a, a point that goes back to what Myra mentioned in the beginning, that conventional wisdom is that we keep these separate. So financial advisors are not um, trained to help us make those heart decisions that have uh, implications for our finances. And therapists are generally not trained in the financial pieces. And so you're left to do that work on your own. Um, what can be helpful in terms of those heart decisions is not feeling like you um, need to make them without information. So for example, and this goes back to our choices um, step. I don't know how long you've lived in the Bay Area or if you've ever lived somewhere else, but this could be an opportunity for you to try it on for size. Um, so see if you could do a uh, maybe rent out your place in the Bay Area or um, find some other way to to um, cover your housing expenses here and try living somewhere else and see how it feels. Um, this is, you know, we, we advocate take, doing experiments. So it's very hard to know how you're going to feel um, leaving here unless you unless you do that. And so um, sometimes our heart needs a little bit of help, a little bit of information that we can provide by putting ourselves in the situation that we are contemplating. Um, and so that might be something, if you haven't done that yet, to um, to try to do that experiment and uh, and and check in with yourself and, and see how it's feeling. And um, our, our fifth C is actually about consequences. And so um, really thinking through what are the short-term, long, medium-term, and long-term consequences, and the the way to um, to do that is to you know put yourself in that situation, and then also um, go back to the check-in step and talk to other people, so people who um, you trust, who you admire, who have made similar decisions, and talk about how it felt for them. Um, that can help get at some of the heart um, aspects without making this a decision yourself. And I'll just say in the, in Myra and Abby's book, they go through these five steps, but just to, just to list them to kind of clarify, clarify them for, for listeners. So you want to clarify, that's the first C, what exactly do you want? Then you want to communicate those needs to the people who are going to be affected by that decision. You want to gather lots of choices, put that in. And I noticed in the book, there's, you know, worksheets to kind of do this. Um, then you get some advice with those, you know, who 
maybe have, have dealt with this decision before, what did they do? And then you wanna think through the consequences. So those are the five C's. Um, Heather writes, I'm really struggling with whether to do with whether to do a remodel. We have been in our home for over 20 years and we've done nothing. So it needs a lot of work and the stairs aren't to code and the estimate is 800,000, which is more than we paid for it 20 years ago. We want a forever footprint in San Francisco and would create a separate unit with passive income, potential upstairs. Still, it's a ton. There are consequences to raising this capital and it will compromise our freedom, which is especially important to my husband. He vacillates between paint the skunk and let's go whole hog any advice for him abby um i love that expression i can't say i've ever heard paint the skunk but i'm going to use it now <laughs> um well actually um one of the things that we're not generally counseled to think about when we undertake decisions about um, remodeling in particular is what our personality is and so in the book actually we talk about two types, um, a maximizer, which is the person who looks at every detail and wants to find the absolute best fixtures and colors and um, all the possible things. I mean, you have to make so many decisions and a remodel. And then the other type is what's called a satisficer. And that is, you know, if you want to paint a room blue, you pick a blue and, you know, then you're fine with that. You don't need to look at all the possible shades of blues and debate. And so it's very important before you undertake a huge decision like this to um, know whether you and your husband and anyone else who's going to be involved in the decision making tend towards maximizer or satisficer. Um, my husband and I are towards the maximizer end of the spectrum, and it is a spectrum. Um, so uh, when we remodeled one bathroom, it was a mammoth undertaking. I mean, it just, we were up late looking at um, all the different fixtures and um, toilet seats and shower heads, and it really um, was tremendously stressful for us. I contrast that to um, my sister-in-law, who remodeled an entire house in her last trimester of pregnancy before she had her second child while working full-time. <laughs> she made all those decisions with ease. And so, I, you know, it will be helpful for you and your husband to talk about, um, beyond the financial decisions, how it will um, be helped or hindered by your natural personality and and um, that might give you some interesting information as to put into the mix as you make the decision. What I'm really hearing from both of you is there's these places where we get stuck. There's sort of a paralysis when we're thinking about like our tendencies and how we answer questions and these big decisions. And, and you're offering some strategies to kind of move through the, the paralysis, which I think is really helpful. Let's go to uh, Cynthia in Oakland. Cynthia, you're on the air. Yes. Good morning. Um, well, as I'm uh, approaching retirement, I'm thinking about going back to graduate school and actually uh, specifically law school. And uh, I did start law school many years ago, and uh, it's been on my mind to go back. And um, right now, I probably have most of the financial uh, wherewithal to do it because I've worked long enough and I've you know, I'm going to be fortunate enough to have a pension and, um, and this, but I, I just, maybe I should have done it earlier. I guess that's what I'm, I, I, I still have this struggle. Uh, I am towards the maximizer, you know, side. I wonder if you can give me any kind of anything to kind of, um, move me. 
Well, I think it's wonderful that you're thinking about law school as you retire. I think one of the difficulties people have with retirement is that they don't make plans about what to do in retirement. Um, And as Abby mentioned, sometimes financial planners will talk to you about the financial side of retirement, but not about the human side or the love side of retirement. I think that um, our lifespans are longer than they used to be. And uh, if you go to law school, it's likely that you will have some years in which to practice law. Uh, You might want to check in with law firms, uh, people you know in the law, find out what sort of work you might have uh, if you go to law school, if you graduate from law school. But it might also be that you're in a position to become a lawyer and then um, donate your time, volunteer your time, and not make uh, money out of your work. And so that would give you even more opportunities. Uh, I think the really important part of our framework for you is the check-in part. You need to check in with other people who've gone to law school late in life, uh, with people who uh, find jobs for new lawyers, uh, and so on and so forth. I say go for it, but Cynthia, whatever you decide, may it be an easeful and enjoyable retirement. Thank you for for calling in. We're talking with labor economist and professor emerita at Stanford University, Myra Strober, and Abby Davison. She's a social innovation leader and career development expert about their new book, Money and Love, an Intelligent Roadmap for Life's Biggest Decision. Are you paralyzed about a big life decision? Do you want some advice from these experts? Maybe you have a really good approach. What works for you? Share it with other listeners. Maybe you have a decision that you regret. What could you have done differently? Share those stories with us. Call us at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. The email is forum at kqed.org. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. I'm in today for Alexis Madrigal. And we're talking to Myra Strober and Abby Davison. They are the authors of a new book, Money in Love, an intelligent roadmap for life's biggest decisions. And we want to hear from you. Are you paralyzed by a big life decision? I bet our experts have some advice. Give us a call, 866-733-6786, or find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or at KQED Forum. The email is forum at KQED. We have Elizabeth writing in, should one big decision be made at a time? I have been living in the Bay Area for the past 20 years. I have been at the same job the entire time and always thought that when I left that job, I would move from the area. I can't afford to retire here, and retirement is probably 15, 20 years off. My job has become unmanageable, and I'm ready to quit, but I love living in California, and I'm not ready to move. Do I put off the inevitable, which is the move, or undertake both big decisions at once, a move and a new job? Abby? Those are both very big decisions, and um, I would say it is hard to change a lot of things at one time. Um, And... If you can, um, I would advise to separate those decisions and to try to generate more choices. And so if you love living in California, um, are there other jobs that would allow you to pay your bills and remain in California? Um, There are many different parts of California, uh, and so those parts have different costs of living, Um, Are there places that would allow you to stay in the state you love um, but lower your cost of living? Uh, Or are there ways to um, supplement your income Um, if your your job now is is untenable, um, but um, say you have um, another skill that you could draw on for income or um, another way to supplement while you're looking for a job? Those are things to try to bring in because – it is it is difficult to make multiple changes at one time. We in my household, we um, I left a job I was at Gap Inc for um, almost a decade, and my husband um, and I have both taken on more entrepreneurial paths at the same time as um, our older son switched schools, and that was this past fall. And we were you know didn't move, but those three big shifts um, were very challenging for us to navigate. And um, even though they were all very much wanted shifts, and so I would say if you can isolate the job decision um, and find a way to stay in the place that you love, um, then that is the path that I would advise. Myra, how do you suggest nudging older parents to make decisions? I've got a, you know, a, a mom who feels incredibly independent and she's determined to stay in her home, but it's got two stories. She lives you know, in Seattle. I'm here. I'm, I'm a little nervous about her being up there alone. How do, how do I sort of navigate or help you know, her move us think about the future when she's basically refusing to think that she'll be anything other than just completely independent in this home? Well, one part of our framework that we haven't talked very much about is communicate. And in this case, you would be communicating with your mom, uh, a parent, somebody that's um, uh, likely uh, going to have some health challenges in the near future. Um, But also communication is important uh, with a partner, with a potential partner, with your children, and... When you communicate with anyone, uh, (laughs) there's two parts to communication. Everybody thinks communicating is about talking, and of course it is, but it's also about listening. And 
it's about active listening, really paying close attention to what the other person is telling you. And so if you're interested in talking with your mom about um, her future, uh, you need to do it with grace. You need to do it gently. You need to find out what it is she wants. And of course, you need to tell her what you want. But there's going to be a dance between the two of you. You're going to clarify your views. She's going to clarify hers. You're going to each communicate those views. And over time, you will become closer as a result of this communication. And you will together find the right decision. Let's go to Liz in Alameda. Liz, you're on the air. Hi. Um, so I recently retired um, and I was a very stressful and high-powered position. Now I'm at home and I'm really tr- struggling with um, what path. I've been retired almost two years and I'm thinking about possibly going back to work part-time, but mostly because I miss that structure, that sense of purpose, you know, excited to get out of bed in the morning Um I'm thinking about other possibilities. Um, you know, there, everybody talks about service and volunteering, um, but there, there's just so many opportunities out there, and it's just so it's a little bit overwhelming to kind of figure out, okay, what's this next step, and which way should I go? So I'm just trying to, you know, get some advice on that perspective. Abby, for you, I think the check-in step will be really, really helpful. Um, because other people have gone through this before, um, and you get to learn from their experience. Now, the last couple of years have been an anomaly, as we all know. So even people who um, loved their jobs may not love doing them remotely, or things might have changed very much for them um, in the pandemic. So um, so you have to sort of step separate out that piece. Um, but Having um, conversations with people who maybe have a similar skill set, who were in your industry, who understand the um, fast-paced nature of the vocation that you were in for many years, um, will be helpful um, in in giving you a sense of how they have been able to provide structure for their days, apply those similar skills, um, find a sense of purpose. It it actually would advise you to do the check-in step and the clarify step um, kind of in an iterative way, because as you clarify what is important to you, and that could look like um, doing a values exercise. If you Google um, values sort, um, that can give you a sense of uh, lots of different exercises online that you can do. Um, Another way to tap into your key values is to pay attention to what you get very worked up about when you read about it in the news, when you listen to it on um, KQED. Um, If you hear something that you say, like, that's just not fair, or oh, that's terrible. I mean, that is hitting on a core value for you. And so the more that you're able to distill the core values that you have, check in with other people who have those core values and understand how they have um, found a second act that gives them all of the things that they care about that are, you know, hopefully overlapping with what you care about, that will help you understand a set of choices that you have, which may be broader than just um, go back to work part time or stay um, not working. We have a listener who asks us to clarify the five C's, so I'll just go through those again. You want to first clarify what you want. You want to communicate what you want to the people you love. That's two is communicate. 
Three, gather a lot of the choices that you could make. That's three is choices. Uh, get some advice by checking in. Check in is the fourth with those who have already made similar decisions. And then you want to think through the consequences. So consequences is number five. Uh, a comment from Kate. I'm a graduate student in evolutionary biology. My career prospects are closely tied to my personal interests and identity as a scientist. How do you navigate making career decisions when you have a greater sense of identity and self-worth tied to your career? Any advice there, Myra? Well, I think it's ideal to have <laughs> your values uh, tied to your work. Um, it, it makes decision-making somewhat easier unless it turns out that the decisions that uh, the, or the choices that face you uh, don't uh, comport with your values, in which case you have very tough decisions to make. But I think, nonetheless, the steps are the same. You need to first clarify uh, what your likely trade-offs are, which trade-offs you might be willing to make. If you can't find something that completely satisfies all your values, what other choices do you have? Um, I think the check-in step is very important here. Talk to others in your field. Uh, learn about their experiences with finding jobs. Uh, what have they done? Sometimes it's possible to um, have work that doesn't entirely satisfy your values and um, do uh, so-called extracurricular activities uh, that are more in line with those values. So it's your life that has to be in balance, not necessarily uh, all coming from your work. Let's go to Catherine in San Rafael. Catherine, you're on the air. Yeah, hi. I'm um, wondering about your suggestion for someone who is just entering empty nest syndrome and feeling like, who am I? What is this marriage? What am I supposed to do in my life now? Uh, how can I financially survive? You know, all those questions that are come up when people are experiencing the emotional uh, response to empty nest syndrome. Well, I am very much in the middle of nest syndrome. My nest is not empty, but <laughs> I do know that um, any big transition needs to be um, given space, um, understand, first acknowledge that this is a big transition. You are going from having a very significant purpose, um, which you which organizes a lot of your time, uh, meaning you're taking care of children, to now not having that purpose anymore. And so um, it is a, a good time to go back to the clarification step. And it probably was a long time uh, ago that you um, filled your days without caring for children. But um, go back to what are the things that um, that you like doing? What are the things that are important to you? Um, not just uh, for your work, but in your life overall. Are there things that you needed to put on pause um, while you your your plate was full with child care duties um, or child raising duties that you would like to go back to? Um, things like travel, things like exercise, things like many of the things sleep <laughs> that get discarded um, when we're in the thick of it. And you mentioned your marriage, and that's really important because this is something that was a joint project for at least 18 years. And um, the communication step to navigate with a partner so that you're not just creating separate identities uh, again, but really um, 
determining how you will move through this transition together. And we, uh, a book that was very important in our book for our research is by Jennifer Patriglieri, and it's called Couples That Work. And it's all about the major transitions that couples where uh, both partners are in the workforce and um, part of a, a marriage need to navigate. And the, the third transition is really the one you're talking about, which is kind of who are we now once you take a, a giant responsibility that was part of our lives uh, and it's now a different stage. And so I recommend um, taking a look at that book and also really um, communicating as you're going through this transition with your partner. We're talking with Myra Strober, and you just heard from Abby Davison. They are the authors of Money in Love, an Intelligent Roadmap for Life's Biggest Decisions. This is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information about how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Leslie McClurg. Let's hear from a caller, Avi, in San Jose. You're on the air. Yeah, hi. Um, Hello. My name is Avi. I am from Bavaria. And I've been into uh, music for my past uh, 20 plus years. And uh, music has been my passion. I thought I'll make both my passion and profession one. But uh, currently I'm having to make a decision to shift to another profession and to keep my passion and profession separate for the sake of financial viability. While I made my decision and I have also started taking action towards this other profession that I've chosen, the pull between the two, the Mine versus heart is kind of making it difficult for me to forge all, all in into the new profession that I have uh, started, uh, started to study. Uh, so I was wondering if I could, you know, get uh, help in wanting to balance between keeping my passion and keeping in touch with my music and then also forge ahead with uh, the practical decision of taking into another profession. Thank you. Myra? Yes, well, <clears throat> when one has to make compromises of the sort that you're making, uh, it's very difficult. It's just, um, it takes time uh, to realize uh, the sacrifice that you're about to make, the cost to you, uh, and uh, it takes time to come to appreciate the new direction that you're taking. And I would say, you know, give yourself space to um, to understand yourself and to be sympathetic with yourself as you move on. Uh, music is something that all of us can enjoy all of our life. And so I know that you'll continue to enjoy that music, even though it may not be part of your work life. A listener writes, I'm a woman in my late 50s, working at a company where most employees are in their 20s or 30s. And I'm torn about whether to stay in a company where I have eight years of employment, but a stalled career progression, or cutting loose and starting something completely new. I do have other skills suitable to freelance work, but I'm fearful of being without a company, security, insurance, steady income, as I do not have a nest egg nor a partner to bridge any gap in income. I could approach the company about a lateral move, but I'm nervous that they will use the opportunity to move me out. Age discrimination in the workplace is real. I could have more opportunities as a free agent, but it feels too risky as I age, especially in the USA, where social safety net is minimal and housing is excruciatingly expensive. Any advice for this listener, Abby? 
So what comes to mind is our choices step. Um, right now, when people are making choices, they tend to look at the two extremes, right? So do I grind it out in a company that might not feel like a right fit? Or do I take the leap and go freelance? When the truth is, there are many options in between. Um, the listener mentioned the idea of a lateral move, um, and that that could be risky. Um, the truth is, there there are lots of ways to de-risk things. So um, in my experience, uh, it really depends on your manager. So um, are there opportunities to get to know other teams within the company, understand um, what uh, those leaders' management styles are like, maybe take on a project or a stretch assignment to try to try the experience on for size without, um, you know, try to get a little bit more information? Um, I would say that uh, it, it there there are a lot of opportunities, especially, I don't know the size of the company, but um, to to take on to try to get different experiences within a company um, before you uh, take the step of of leaving. Now, if you are interested in building up a freelance business, you can do that simultaneously. Um, you could take on projects on nights and weekends um, or occasional days off to try to um, experience what it feels like to freelance, what it um, feels like to sell work and to pitch yourself and to try to um, do that while having an income. And and um, this is something that I did, actually, while I was um, working full time. Myra and I were writing this book together and we um, I found opportunities to try to um, try things on for size, like teaching a class and speaking to see if those were things that energized me um, in different ways. And and so it was ultimately after you know almost three years that I did then take the leap and leave my full-time job and pursue this more entrepreneurial path related to the book. But um, So see if there are some different choices you might be able to generate. What I'm hearing from our guests over and over and over is don't press the sort of pound, must decide button inside, but open your mind and, and kind of explore a little more creatively the decision-making process. So thank you so much, Myra Strober and Abby Davison, for sharing your advice today. They are the authors of Money in Love, an Intelligent Roadmap for Life's Biggest Decisions. This Hour of Forum is produced by Blanca Torres, Grace Wan, Jennifer Ng, Marlena Jackson-Rotondo is our engagement producer. Judy Campbell is our lead producer. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, or is Danny Bringer today. Our interns are Lulu Ralda and Jericho Reininger. Susan Davis is our senior producer. Our vice president of news is Ethan Toven-Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Leslie McClurg. Have a great day. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the Internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snapchat Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.